冰河魔主，我已经将地球占领。为咗彻底消灭冰河魔怪嘅侵略，本研究所处于紧急戒备状态之中。喂，呢啲系我使咗几十年心血研究出嚟嘅结果。超人，系能将我改造成为超人。我觉得周身都有力。Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. I don't get it. Is Infermen a name or some kind of medicine? Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. What is this idiocy? Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me. Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light. Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools, but I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth. That they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices.、Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration, or you study grindhouse movies at my feet now. Choose. Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch, and will summon you again. Be ready. The consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get to? Now the... go! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing: the Honeywell Experiment. Virginia, summon the subject. All right, I'm here, apparently in my in a field with a giant ball. How? What is this ball of something? I'm holding my、Hold、arms are tired. I'm holding it up. My arms are tired though.、It's、Stand still.、Heavy. I'm okay. All right, are we recording, Virginia? This is my first test of my new 
destructive weapon. Oh, Thunderbolt. Oh, Jesus. We will begin. We will try to destroy the big globe of super hard shit. Uh, it it is three, super hard. Two. One. Well, it works. I wasn't aiming for the ball. I'm going to be digging super anyway, get hard over, get shit over here. out of my... Get over here. Come, come over here. Because we have a special guest coming in to help us talk about the film for today. Holy you may Jesus! Hear him you, you may hear him coming now. I, coming over the hill. Yes. The, the sound Like the sound of a thousand dune buggies. Okay. Well, as we are going to be talking about a very particular... Hey, I know that dude. Hong Kong film. I figured it only fair to bring in the man that I have dubbed the King of the Kaiju. I know Mr. that dude. Mr. Luke Jackanay. Yeah. Down, Bemular. Down. Put me down. Yeah, good. podcast with good this life. dude. Yeah, never... I do podcast with you, don't I? You but, never uh, told me about your kaiju. Well, you Hot know, months. you know, I I have a life outside of the vault, Chris. I guess so. I guess so. And uh, you know, the the last time I was here, I think you like teleported us or something. So at least this time, I can come and go as I please with my uh, my space monster uh, associate here. I gotta be honest, the teleporting really sucks, and and it's weird. But it's only going back that the incontinence happens. And oh, do some adjustments on the incontinence, Ray, will you? Thank you, Virginia. I think she already has. It's anyway. Uh, it's, it's always a hot entry into uh, into my apartment. Let me tell you. Yes, very hot. I've I've every every time I know a show's coming, I just like throw tarps down in my apartment and look into opening a special website, Virginia. I'm sure there's somebody with that sort of fetish. Uh, anyway, as long as I get a cut today, uh, as we enter, as we welcome in 2023, um, I pulled the trigger on something I've been keeping in my back pocket for a while. Uh, I have always been fascinated by how other countries interpret the native genres of specific countries. And this is the first, and to the best of my knowledge, only Hong Kong tokusatsu film produced, directed, and I think even written by uh, the, the legendary Shaw Brothers. I talk, of course, of the Super Inframan, known here in America as just Inframan. Well, it it did smell like it was in your back pocket for a while. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, the Super Inframan, Inframan. This is one of those um, in the, to me, it's a very kind of notorious film, right? Because... Mm -hmm. Because of its release here in the U.S., the connection with the Shaw uh, Shaw Brothers outfit, mm -hmm. this is a film that I get asked about a lot. 
because it's like, hey, you were talking about Ultraman. Is Inframan like that? Or you know, it's like, hey, I heard you on another show talking about uh, Super Sentai. Is it Inframan like that? You know, I get that a lot yeah. because a lot of people remember Inframan because it is so <laughs> it is pretty memorable. Yeah, not gonna like you know watch this and like eh, you know you're gonna have strong opinions either way. But uh, yeah, though it it is it is a a very unique <laughs> entry into the Henshin Hero <laughs> catalog. Let's just put it that way. That's the diplomatic way to say that. When I used to do uh, music journalism in the 90s, I, I had a thing, uh, a line I used to describe the Sugar Cubes. Remember the Sugar Cubes, guys? Oh, yes. yeah. The Sugar Cubes? I, just I saw the, the Sugar, Sugar Cubes, Cubes in Iceland's answer to the B-52s, only Iceland did not quite understand the question. <laughs> that's Iceland. They, uh, I gotta say, they were one of the most fun bands I've ever seen. I, I Yeah. I've seen them live twice. So, but, um, basically, Inframan was, literally was, because apparently the Shaw brothers saw the popularity of tokusatsu shows like Inframan in Japan and said, why can't we do one? So this is literally Hong Kong's answer to, to to Ultraman, only Hong Kong didn't understand the question much, did it, Luke? Well, and the thing is, so this is 1975. Yes. Right? And so by 1975, it's not just Ultraman. They are also, we have had Kamen Rider, started mm -hmm. a few years before this, started as a manga, eventually became a tokusatsu, was hugely popular. And then we also had um, Android Kikaider, which was a few years before this, mm -hmm. also hugely popular, also based on a manga that becomes a tokusatsu. A lot of this movie is Kikaider. And that's yeah. the one that really stood out to me because it's all the... Kikaider would eventually spawn what is known as the Metal Heroes. So shows like Space Sheriff Gavin, right. Talder... Um, uh, Kabuto, you know, or B Fighter, uh, and he oh, Heavy Metal B Fighter, and its sequel, Heavy Metal B Fighter Kabuto, uh, Spielvin, Just Beyond, I could go on. It has a lot of similarities to a lot of the Metal Hero shows with this, but then on top of the Metal Hero show kind of tropes, you also get everybody's riding motorcycles. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the monsters are, you know, like mutants that are humanoid. And then, of course, for no apparent reason, one of them grows giant. And the hero's like, yeah, I can do that. I can grow giant, too. <laughs> so it's like they're just looking at us like, hey, you know, in Japan right now, the movie industry is is in the it is seemingly in its death throes because TV is is, you know, people can more afford to stay at home and watch their TVs than they can actually go to the movies. We're going to take all the popular fantasy shows and mash them all together into one. <laughs> I, I gotta confess, the first time I saw this, I was seriously sick with food poisoning. So, imagine how that must have impressed on my mind. Well, I have a feeling when this first came out, a lot of people were, like, food poisoned on, like, magic mushrooms when they went to see it. Like, I, I, this was my first viewing of it, but I've, like, I remember specifically... When uh, Siskel and Ebert did their, you know, like, you know, yeah. guilty pleasures show and Ebert just about like was just so like 
enthused about this movie and I imagine it's because he'd probably never seen anything like no. it before. He'd never seen he, he just and that was how when as a kid when I saw it I was like this is balls out crazy just ridiculous looking and like I've I'd always wanted to see it. And then as I grew up I was like okay probably my imagination, you know, this is probably going to be like an episode of uh you know power rangers or something when i finally get to see it which more or less that was the that was the lens that i the only lens i had to view it through and i was like okay it's it's similar in budget and you know just sort of general um wrote storyline you know that just you know we're gonna follow you know just it's going you know where it's going right. and uh yeah. well it, and, and uh, but it's like it visually this thing is like comfort food to me the the sure. colors and everything i can just watch it and let it wash over me and there's some stuff like that like uh witch eyes brainwash machine dragon headed brainwash machine that's just that's beautiful yeah. <laughs> it was good. but then again i i kind of want witch eyes to brainwash me yeah, so. and, the, and the, the thing about this also, you mentioned you mentioned Power Rangers. Well, Power Rangers, of course, begins its begins its uh, journey as the Super Sentai, which is Toei's other series, right? Besides their main series was always Kamen Rider and, and Super Sentai, and then they did Metal Heroes as well. Well, the first, you know, uh, Himitsu Sentai Gorenja is 1975. It's the same year as this, right? And so the Super Sentai has been running, you know, essentially nonstop. There's a little bit of a hiatus in 1978 when they do Spider Man, uh, when Toei does Spider Man with Marvel Comics. But again, that that um, aesthetic has been a standard since the mid 70s, right? And 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 again, this one leans more to me towards the Metal Hero because it doesn't have a team, you know. Like if they if they right. made a, a sequel with the Infra Men. Right? right, then that would have been a Super Sentai show versus a Metal Hero show. But yeah, it's it all draws a similar inspiration, and it's something that we talk about on Earth Destruction Directive is that a lot of times Western audiences will look at an Eastern film, uh, in this case a, a Hong Kong film, and say, "Well, that doesn't look realistic," right? Because that is tends to be critically how we view a fantasy film. It's like, "Wow, that looks like it could be real." Yeah. Whereas in the in the East, it's more that 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 looks fantastic. That image is a memorable, yes. powerful yes. image. And so whether it looks realistic or not, the imagery is important. And so the I, I, this is something that this is like the the bridge that my wife's never been able to cross with Tokusatsu. Like right. she'll watch Daikaiju, she'll watch like Godzilla, but she won't watch Henshin Heroes or Kyodai Heroes because she's like it's so stylized, it's so it's so broad that she can't watch it. I was like, well. Yes, but it's try. It's it's imagery. The visuals are the important part. It's it's like a uh, it's like a well, no play, right? What does Tokusatsu um, translate into in American? So Tokusatsu in English roughly translates to special filming. So it's really any any type of show that uses special effects is a Tokusatsu. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, we tend to think of it as being a science fiction or fantasy show. So the first tokusatsu really was was Gojira in 1954, right? And then there, you know, there there are two shows. Um, it's uh, it's Ultraman and Ambassador Mag uh, Magma, and Ambassador Magma actually beats Ultraman onto the air 
is the first tokusatsu shows with heroes, mm-hmm. right, in, in 1966. Um, Ultra Q, which is a tokusatsu show, it's actually, Ultra Q is the first Ultra show. It predates Ultraman. It's kind of like if uh, uh, if Ultraman met the X-Files, is basically what it is, is how I'd describe right. it, which is a great show. Very moody in black and white. But just so, so... Ported into... Japan, it's a, it's considered a tokusatsu because it has special effects. So anything that uses even the one I was like with Thomas the Tank Engine, right? The original version of Thomas the Tank Engine is a tokusatsu because it has models. Okay. Modern Thomas the Tank Engine is an anime technically because it's animated. <laughs> because it's using CGI. Um. About Ebert, I have quotes. Chris? From, e- from the Ebe? From the Ebe. Big E. So, um, in March 7, 1976, he said of this film, The movie even looks good. It's a classy, slick production by the Shaw Brothers, the Hong Kong Kung Fu Kings. When they stop making movies like Inframan, a little light will go out of the world. Yeah. And it's one of the rare films he actually gave extra stars after the fact. Because in 1999, when he first reviewed The Mighty Peking Man, he said, I can't, in good faith, give Mighty Peking Man this many stars when Inframan has this many stars. So as of today, Inframan now has this many stars. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And, I, li- and, I, I like the Mighty Peking Man, too. You know, I know what I like from Mighty Peking Man. Amputating Tiger. The tiger that that attack, rips the guy's arm off and his arm is, like, perfectly healed when he cuts his arm off. That's the part I like in uh, Mighty Peking Man. But, um, yeah, and, and the thing is, is that, it, again, Ebert wasn't alone for the, there was a whole, like I said, a generation of folks that were introduced to the tokusatsu concept through Inframan. And that it came from the Shaw brothers, who had such a... I, I don't want to say a good relationship. It's something where had such a strong or so strongly established in North America, you know, with all, like he says, people. their Kung Fu out, output, but not, but you know, they also Shaw brothers had a hand in Gorgo, right. you know, which is another one where we're, we're taking an idea of a, of a Japanese style monster movie and doing it in a, in a different, now that was a different kind of setup because again, that was an, an English film, mm-hmm. but you know, Chris, the one that jumped to mind for me, over on the vault, remember we did Legends of Seven Golden Vampires. Yes, we did. Which is very similar to this movie in that it takes, in it, it just looks the other direction, right? Instead of but, looking to, to Japan, it looks to to Great Britain and says, you know, we could do one of those Hammer horror movies. Right. We could do a Dracula movie. Right. We'll just do it with Chinese vampires. Right. People seem to forget that that these studios like Shaw Brothers like Hammer, who are known for one thing and one thing only, were working studios who did many things in their home area. Um, Hell, towards the end of their life, uh, Hammer made most of its money off of adaptations of English comedy series. Yes, yeah, they did. And and those were making not, they just weren't making enough money to keep the the genre films going. Exactly. And, you know, and that's that that's the thing is that 
you know, we, we talk about this all the time on different shows is that genre films get a lot of times get looked down on. And that is always you mentioning Roger Ebert. Ebert was never one to look down on a quality genre film. If right. it was a crappy genre film, he would give it its due. But he wasn't a guy that looked at a genre film and automatically dismissed it. And I, I've I've had some issues. I had, had some issues with Roger Ebert over the years, but he was always he was always reliable about that. He treated films fairly when they were genre. He he had a dog in the game and 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 where he'd worked with he collaborated with Russ Meyer, who's just <laughs> who's Russ Meyer and was right. his output was was low budget exploitation movies that had you know a complete life of their own and they they were their own little genre, so he understood that and he also was kind of like a little weirdo. He and Siskel always. Whenever there was like a, you know, uh, uh, one of his guilty pleasures, uh, Ebert's guilty pleasures on that show was uh, um, Tarzan the Ape Man with Bo Derek, because yeah. he wanted a nice steamy Tarzan movie. And, and, and Siskel was sort of mocking him for loving that. But Siskel had his own little thirsty movie on there, too, that I can't remember what it was. It was another sort of you know like um why do i want to keep saying 48 hours what was the one where he's feeding her food from the Seven, eight and a half weeks 17 and a half weeks yes eight and a half weeks not 28 days later whatever you know one yeah. of those movies 128 hours whichever yeah what, what whatever it is what, what one of those one of those heavy booby movies <laughs> but like yeah they were both they both had a kind of l- little perv to them but like yeah Siskel, Siskel would always was always prissy about about genre movies compared to to Ebert. Yeah. I I love watching their old shows because I used to just like hang on their every word as a little kid. Now I watch it and I go, you guys could not not. It's when I watch their worst of lists, I'm like, mm-hmm. these movies have all almost uh, all gone on to be appreciated and uh, and recognized it as at least being pretty good. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but oh, keep in mind the reason I I think kids like us because we're all about the same age. I think I'm a little bit older than you guys. Roughly, yeah, yeah. We're um, a little spectrum here, but Siskel and Ebert were the only dedicated show about movies available to us at that time. Right. I I mean I lo- I was trying to find any any kind of venue. To review to see movie reviews, you know, like like every magazine that that my parents subscribed to, the first thing I would flip to would be the you know I I know we had Time magazine go to the right. movie review section, and we had another movie called The Whole Earth Review that had a section called Good Movies that always had positive reviews. And, and does anybody stuff. remember the um, movie review section of Parents Magazine? Mm. No, but I, I'll bet you it was it did it have like it was very like, it, it was very focused on how, how upsetting much things bad stuff for film. kids yeah I and, and my other big my other big movie like review source was fucking goofball Gene Shallot on the Today Show because yeah. it would <laughs> I, it, he would usually do his thing He's just before I would catch for the bus huh. Shallot, I think, is still alive. Is he? Oh my God, he must be just like a he's drinking just a like a blob. Like 
he's he but he would he he was just like he was sort of the Andy Rooney he reminded yeah. me of Andy Rooney of but like you know I I still like one of the one of the like earliest m- memories of me going fucking berserk is Shallot's review of Star Wars mm-hmm. you know and showing the you know, showing a scene from it and me almost like, you know, grabbing my parents by the lapels going like, how soon are we going to the movies to see this? <laughs> so, but get, getting back to the film uh, upon which we are talking. Yeah. Uh, so- first off, I did not know until tonight when I started looking up uh, sources that this film takes place in 2015. So I guess uh, we all kind of forgot well, you know, there was a lot going on back then. After 2016, it sort of like erased all the memory of stuff before. And, and it, the it, pandemic came, and so yeah, the timing was, was yeah, the timing was the, not right for for this. Yeah, the you know, it's it. I, I'm I'm a big sucker for film set in the far flung future. <laughs> you know, that is now in my lifetime. Um, uh, as we were recording this uh, yesterday, I caught a, a little bit, a little snippet of the end of uh, Destroy All Monsters. And Destroy All Monsters, of course, takes place in the far-flung year of 1999. You know? <laughs> as a kid, that was like, oh, wow, that's cool. And now that's... it's like, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. I remember 1999. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, what's the one... Like, like, of course, you know, other examples of this are, of course, Blade Runner being set in 2017. Yep. Um, uh, Transformers, the movie, is set in 2005. Oh, sure. <laughs> I've always thought about doing a podcast hmm? of science fiction films where they predicted the future as, some, as a year that already passed. Yes. Just to see how wrong or right they got it. <laughs> um. The, the one, one, a personal favorite of mine is Thunder, and, and my brother, I'll put my brother over in this too, Thundar the Barbarian, where the, the cataclysmic event that creates the post-apocalyptic world is in the year 1994, a runaway comet hurdles between the earth and the moon, unleashing yep. cosmic destruction. It's the greatest opening ever for a cartoon, but it's like 1994. As a kid, you're like, oh, that's less than like 10 years away, man. You know? Yeah. Oh, remind me, remind Escape me. Escape from New York is story. the most disappointing one that not, didn't come true, but yeah. yeah. Luke, remind me to tell you a story after we're finished recording about Jack Kirby and how he came to work on that. Yeah, sure thing. That you might find amusing. Yes. But, uh... So, um,. This film, I mean, it's low, but it looks good, even though well, it's obviously Well, and, and you know, that, that's, the, that's the thing. And, and I've, you know, a lot of these Asian films are extremely, and, and shows, we'll call them TV shows also, they're low budget by Western standards, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing. But it's like that, they, Shaw, the Shaw brothers went out and got people that, you know, had done this type of work before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um they they had gotten uh, the same outfit that did a lot of the uh, costumes and oh, um, and other um, uh, that, that kind of stuff for Toei. Yes, Ikisu so, Productions is what you're talking. About yeah, right that's now. exactly right. And you know, so they 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 use that, and it looks it's immediately evocative 
of Japanese tokusatsu. At, right the, from the beginning, with the big landslide and the city on fire, mm-hmm. the, the HQ itself, it's immediately trying to look like a Japanese show. Yeah. But Hell, because they, it's they the use... Shaw Brothers, and oh, they have their... The, the way that it differentiates itself is that there are the scenes where it's clearly Shaw Brothers-style action. Mm-hmm. The, a, a Japanese film, a lot of times Japanese films were, were criticized. Henry Saperstein famously said this when they were going to co-produce... Uh, the film that became Monster Zero. He's like, why are we always starting with people talking? Let's get some action right up front, which is why Monster Zero starts kind of in media res where they've already launched the the P1 and they've already got a space scene and stuff. This movie, I mean, Princess Dragon Mom is there at like minute four, Yeah. right? I mean, it's like Rome, boom, boom. It is flying. And this movie's like 88 minutes. I don't think it stops. The only scene where it takes a breath is with the professor talking to his daughter before she gets kidnapped. Other than that, it's like stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. And if stuff's not happening, stuff's about to happen. Right? I would say so much stuff is happening that that last 20 minutes or so becomes exhausting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just nonstop. It's, 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 go, almost it's, like it's, go, it's almost it's like, like there was an dream. Inframan series that they compiled down into a movie is yes. what it plays like. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, like they took three or four episodes and just said, okay. <laughs> like the the um the movie that somebody compiled from Johnny Sacco? Yes, Warning was the, that wasn't Warning War, from Space. Voyage from, spa- to Voyage space. from Space, yes. Yes. But it's, you know, and that's, there are some shows you can do that with, but this, but he said, yeah, the last, the last act of this, it's just fight, 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 just nonstop. And, and it's, it's, it's wonderful and it's glorious if in a, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a, uh, I said a henchin hero sort of, it's an orgy of henchin hero essentially mm-hmm. is what it is, but it's like, it is, and it, but you're right. It's after a while you're like, okay. What the hell is even going on at this point? Because <laughs> yes. he's been fighting guys pretty much nonstop for the last 17 minutes. And know? they just sort of fight to a standstill till eventually one of them goes down and just burns up. I <laughs> mean, there's the sequence with Princess Dragon Mom in her Dragon Mom form. Yes. Which where is... he's behead- he beheads her, but she grows a new head. <laughs> over and over <laughs> and over. <laughs> That's not the, the definition of insanity they, is what they, that is. The shot of her feet with yeah. all the heads. All, the heads. all I could think of with this is from Disney's Hercules. Yeah. When Hercules is cutting the heads off the Hydra and Phil Octiti says, will you knock it off with the head cutting already? <laughs> <laughs> You're just pissing her off. <laughs> okay. So, so who is your favorite? Who is your favorite mutant? Oh, Chris, why don't you go on that one? Oh, Mutant Drill. Mutant Drill had energy. He had like Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, Sid oh, and Marty Croft energy. Nope, yeah, also called Nemesis in the dub. Yes. Well, I, 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 okay, I, I want to also I, say I, I watched the subtitled version and my subtitler was a cheeky bastard. Because like when the little kids are fighting, the, the little girl's like, Come on, what's the matter with you? Are you chicken shit? And he he calls her a chicken shit, and she goes, "Fuck you!" And I'm like, "This is not this this no. this." And like when they're singing "London Bridge," it's a whole other lyrics about a a falling bird or something like that. But it's obviously "London Bridge" that they're singing. So like, I got a I got a subtitled version with with a uh, 
with a with with a suspicious subtitling. Okay. Yeah. Uh, while I almost would give it to Fat Spider Monster, yeah, just because I love those the the, the useless t- four extra le- legs kind of flopping from side to side, and to be fair, also the uh, the bowling ball heads. Yes. Also, uh, stand out to me. I have to give it to I have to give it to Mutant Drill as well because he has my second favorite line of dialogue in the entire film. Mm-hmm. When Princess Dragonmon goes, "Go to the surface, destroy humans," and they're 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 heading out, and you could hear you could hear Nemesis chuckling, going, <laughs> "Destroy humans." Yeah, that like, that is he is great. He's, he's enthusiastic. He, he's about got good energy. Yeah, he's got good yeah. energy. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I liked all of these guys. To be honest with you, top to bottom, from Dragon Mom right down to the to the Boneheads, right? But uh, I, I liked Nemesis. Like I said, he was clearly like the top guy. Yeah. But if I had to, and, and top guys don't carry their own bags. But you know, you mentioned the bowling ball heads in the. In in Chinese, are the Iron Armor monsters the right. two the two robots? I I thought they were great. It I really got like a um, uh, like a real like Shaw Brothers kung fu with the using the the springs, right? Yeah. Because I, because I've, I I know I've seen that in different kung fu movies with the guys having the knives on the rope or whatever, or yeah. the singham the chain where they're throwing the chain back and forth or the meteor hammer. So that really got me, and that was such a neat look and having. Having a bunch of mutants, and as an aside, you know, Witch Eye, who is called She Demon in the dub, mm-hmm. okay, that's uh, Dragon Mom's um, uh, main hench, you know, yep. I think She Demon and the Mutants would be a great band name. Yes. <laughs> but that aside. Yes, you need the right lead singer for that one, but yes. Right. But, oh, uh, yes. you know, but I love that you have all these, you know, monsters, right? Because you've got. You've got the the guy with the the like the lizard with the mustache. You've got fat spider monster. You've got the the plant monsters. You have to have a plant monster. You know, that nemesis. That plant monster is borderline kind of nightmarish, though. It's like it's almost like Lovecraftian looking. Yeah, <laughs> with that vaguely skull like face. Well, yeah, and then the, the, the yeah. One thing <laughs> I remember about watching movies like this as a as a kid. And and now watching it as an adult is just there is just a light S and M element mm-hmm. to it, and you got Dragon Mom in in Witch Eyes, and like in their in their and they're just and they're just dominate. They're basically in dominatrix sort of form, just being complete, just completely just you know. Witch Eyes brainwashes the one guy, and then when they're done with him, Dragon Mom just Kalimas him into the pit. And I'm watching it now going, wee, this is fun, but as a little kid, I would have been like, <gasps> See, then you're, I was going to say, Chris, you're dead on. This is how people end up a, in gimp suits, guys. Well, there is, there is, a, there is a, a long tradition of very popular, strong roles for women in specifically in Japanese science fiction playing villains, because as a villain, you don't have to ascribe to the cultural and societal norms Ah, of the area. So you think about like Kumi Mizuno playing Miss Namikawa in, I mentioned monster zero playing the girl from planet X. Mm -hmm. 
right? Or you think about the Keylock Queen from Destroy All Monsters. Or you think about, uh, oh, crap, I forget the actress who plays the, it's, the, it's, the, it's, um, oh, it's the sister in Destroy All Monsters who is brain-controlled by the Keylocks for a while. It, villainesses allow the actress to kind of do some of that stuff. And so it does, it's specifically, again, in a Japanese context, it does kind of push that sometimes, where yeah. they are the sex appeal, but they're also dangerous, and they're a threat. And the idea of, you know, being you know, more powerful than a man. I mean, right. Princess Dragon Mom's got the absolute territory boots, and I 100% approve of absolute territory boots, in it, especially uh, hot, in this hot type pants of context. And whips, you know? yeah, hot pants, but... whips, and absolute territory boots? Yes, sir. I'm on board, you know? <laughs> I do want to point out that um, there is actually, in uh, King Kong Escapes, the female villain is played by a Bond girl. Yes. 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 Mayhama, yeah. But that see, that first... movie I specifically remember as a little kid being just like, wow, <laughs> that was so because, because he's got the moves like Jagger, you would have appreciated the cousin it monster. Oh yeah, well the the thing is that that long hair I wouldn't I was trying to figure out is that supposed to be like an oni, because or is that or is I said because originally my note was oni question mark and then I crossed it out and wrote yokai question mark is there like a chinese type of mythological creature like that because i i'm not you know i know a lot more about traditional japanese yokai than i do about about chinese but i was thinking like the Zhangxi, right the hopping zombie it's like yeah. there's got to be something that looks like that with the white hair and the horns because yeah. it's so he looks so different than every, i mean yeah i know he, does, I mean, this, he looks like an iconic like cultural figure yeah i do like i do like that and that that fight thing. with them in and around the water is quite nice also mm. and that that one definitely gives me uh um more like i said a, a definite metal hero type of vibe with the you know the some of these fights are more common rider style especially when he kicks people and they blow up it's like yeah okay that's common rider but you know the, <laughs> the, he's called long hair monster Mm -hmm. And but again, I'm, I I thought it's got to be some kind of of like traditional folklore yeah. creature that he's based yeah, on. It's they very, definitely very were striking. making a statement on hippies for sure. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, Luke, while we're still on on the on the subject, uh, you're probably the person I could probably get the the best answer about this, because back when I was a little one, uh, Channel Five through its creature features used to show the Starman movies. Hmm? Were those edited together from a TV series, or were they actual standalone movies? Um, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I'm not sure that I've ever seen those. I've, I've, I've heard the name, but I don't know that I, that I um, can answer that. It's hard to tell. It could be like the Lone Wolf and Cub stuff. Yeah. It could be either movies or TV shows edited together. It's, it's so, just that oh, I... There oh, was... oh, yeah, so, okay, yes. So, okay. So you're talking like Attack from Space and those Evil Brain from Outer Space, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yes, those are... Uh, that that was actually a film series in Japan. That's Super Giant. Okay. It's what that was called. And so that was actually a series of, of, of uh, films, not like just short films, like, you know, less than an hour. Okay. So it wasn't, it wasn't actually a, a, a TV series, but it was a short series. Okay. Evil Brain from Outer Space contains 
like these alien monsters that gave me nightmares as a kid. Which look really silly now if you look at them, but little Tom, no want. Yeah. <laughs> well, the one that gave me nightmares as a little kid was Gargoyles, the made-for-TV movie. <laughs> and then when I was older, the, the little kid from uh, Salem's Lot who comes to his brother's window and is scraping at the window, that gave me a nightmare of my whole family like turning into vampires. I had a very conflicted uh, relationship with Kolchak the Night Stalker in 1975. That's for sure. (laughs) I used to I used to stay up late at night to to watch those on CBS. I used to play them like after midnight. Yes, yes, but but I got to watch some of them on um, their first airing on ABC. And the thing was, at first, my mom just refused when they were being played at 10 o'clock. My mom just, nope, you're not staying up to watch that. Because mm-hmm. I'd watched Louise Jordan. Was it Louise Jordan? No, it was Jack Palance's Dracula. And that gave me nightmares. I remember that. <laughs> so, um, but then when they switched it to like 8 o'clock on Fridays, she really had no control. So I got to watch these things. But yeah, it, there were some things in that that young Tom got. Eleven-year-old Tom was freaked out by. Yeah. But anyway, I don't remember if there was ever a movie like that that gave me nightmares. I do remember being really scared of some odd stuff, like in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein when the Frankenstein monster's walking through the fire. That scared mm-hmm. me as a little kid. It really did. Yeah. And him falling through the dock, it still kind of freaks me out a little bit. What's funny is. It, 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 knowing what we know now about that, that that's basically a, um, a very primitive animatronic. Yes. Going through the docks, um, it's still kind. It's still kind of effective. Right. You, it, what's what was what was strange is about thirteen years ago, I was working a job, mm-hmm. and. It was Halloween time on the job, and we were on the job site, and we were just talking about, you know, what movies that scared us as a kid, and I mentioned that. And one of my coworkers, and I can't, I am blanking on her name right now, but mm-hmm. when she was a little girl, she remembers watching Abner Costello meet Frankenstein, and when the monster throws Sandra out the window, mm-hmm. that, like, scared the hell out of her. And she was at least eight or ten years older than me. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, the movie that old, it doesn't really matter. I just thought that was so funny that, you know, that that scared her. It's like, yeah, well, I'm right there with you. I, now, I remember we are all the... old enough to remember famous monsters of Filmland. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Granted, it was edited and published by uh, a sex monster who will not be named here. But... At one point, you know, we were all monster kids. We loved that 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 magazine, right? Yeah, for sure. And I, I remember picking one up from the stands, and they had a still from a long-forgotten TV show called Far Out, which did a um, adaptation of the Portrait of Dorian Gray. Oh my God, I have that. I have that issue. I got that issue as a kid too. I know the and picture Dick you're talking Smith about. Did the picture of Dorian Gray. It was a big. And it was, was pussy, horrific. It was a pussy facial face 
it was nasty. I I remember that one traumatized me too. Oh, I could not look at that page for for years after I after I first saw it. He has mm-hmm. big big. It's just a it's it's sort of similar to the head that they would always show over the end credits of Star Wars or Star Wars. Yeah. Star Trek. But, but but with gore, I mean, he had these like white, like instead of like veins with blood in them, they were looked like they were just full of white fluid, like pus or embalming fluid. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was it looked like it was a very squishy <laughs> um, facial model. Yes. Wet. Yeah, it was but, it was uh, nightmare. It was just it was horrific. Yeah. Um, but uh, none of these none of these monsters in uh, Inframan are going to give you those kind of nightmares, folks. No, no, not really. I mean, even even the ones that are kind of charming, like Nemesis, there are frequent shots from where we are looking at Nemesis from behind, and we can see the very obvious seam. There's there's a few shots where they flop over too, and you can see like their legs under. You know, you they 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 cut it pretty good. But every once yeah. in a while, if you're really looking around, you can you can see the seams of it. But you know, there's just no getting around that there's seams on them anyway. So it's that they're that they're guys in Wiggly Sigmund the Sea Monster suits. So yeah, yeah, That's I'm okay. willing to I mean, suspend that, that, my you know, disbelief. That, that that comes with the territory. Too, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's 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 all part. It's all part of the fun of it, you know. Mm-hmm. No, and that and that's the thing. Not the none of these. If you showed a still of one of these monsters, mm-hmm. and you said, you know, what show was this from? There, a lot of people would have said it must be one of the seventies common riders, you know, or something yeah. like that. No, none of these look so. So good or so bad that they're out of place for the source material right. that Shaw right. Brothers was was you know doing their riff on, and I, I consider that to be a compliment. It really yeah. does fit with that style. You Let's know, be he, honest. He, what's the difference between the skeleton ghosts and the putties? No, there, there's there's a long history of mooks. Yeah. Um, Shocker was the evil organization from Common Rider. Their bad guys looked very similar to this from like four years prior. Mm-hmm. The Skull Men. And I think they're called the Skull Men. It's something similar to that. But they're they're wearing black leotards with, with like bones printed on them and white masks. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, you got, I mean, the army of mooks, the different. I love the fact that Dragon, uh, Princess Dragon Mom has her throne room with all her henchmen in it. Yeah. Because that is another Metal Hero show um trope because they did that um professor gill i think is the is professor gill the villain in uh Kikider? i think that's right and gill had his dark that was what the the name of the group was and all the dark monsters were all in the uh, uh in in his throne room and he'd send one out each week to go fight Kikider. Mm-hmm. but the one i think most people at least my age and most western viewers my age might remember in uh, VR Troopers, which was itself right. an adaptation of not one, but two different Metal mm-hmm. Hero shows combined together. In Grimlord's uh, Dark Fortress, there was all the monsters of the week were all in that fortress. And, you know, they used the same footage over and over again in the U.S. version, but in that footage comes from the show Metalder. In Metalder, as those guys went out and got killed, the fortress would get more empty. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, you, I know the last, Metallica killed the last eight guys, but you, you're my guy. You're going to go do yeah. it. <laughs> just one guy left at the end, just like, ah, jeez. Well, by the end, the thing is actually in that show is that it's such, in, in so many ways, it's a very Japanese show in that not only are all of the different monsters organized into groups based on what type of monster they are, they all have a commander, and there's like rivalries between the commanders, you know? And this is a trope that continues on other shows, too. It's like, well, we've got some of our monsters are robots, and some are mutants, and some are, you know, military-themed, and some are animal-themed. They all got a different commander that fits that theme, and they don't like each other, and they all want the big bosses you know, approval. And the big boss has got, you know, a babe that's with him, right? That's like mm-hmm. the, the one girl in the, uh, where it, that doesn't have anything covering her face, maybe has a helmet and a lot of thigh, showing a lot of thigh just to get those uh, prepubescent Japanese boys interested. It, it sounds like you're describing a typical 1980s uh, syndicated show. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it, it ain't rocket science. It's, you know, you know it's Tokusatsu. Just like, um, like G.I. Joe, you had the big guy, <clears throat> You had the bunch of lieutenants around him. Right. And the bunch of disposable fodder around the the lieutenants. Yeah. Yep. And usually one girl. Yes. Creates its own drama. Right. Uh, And now, yeah, see, now in G.I. Joe, of course, Baroness, she didn't really care for Cobra Commander. She was her and Destro all the way. Mm -hmm. You know, they were the OTP. Right. Always were. I think See, also there there is a whole generation of guys. The Baroness, I want to say, practicing the clarinet. <laughs> and I think you know why, Luke. Yes, there there is there is one. I do not remember the episode. There was one episode of GI Joe where Cobra's plan is working. Yeah. Like they have GI Joe on the run and they're gonna win, and so Cobra Commander is checking in with his lieutenants on the video screen, and he calls Destro and the Baroness, and they're in an embrace. Like, like, you see just Destro from behind. He's obviously, like, dip-kissing Baroness. And he's like, Destro! And, and, he did, and, Baron, and Destro turns around and goes, She had something in her eye, Commander. <laughs> well, um, for those of you who are not in on this joke, look up The Ballad of G.I. Joe on YouTube. Which is a funny or die video, and I still say, even though I loved Sienna Miller as uh, the Baroness in the, yeah. in the um, Rise of the Cobra. Rise of Cobra, yeah. Um, Olivia Wilde, best live action Baroness we've ever mm. had. Yeah, that that is tough. <laughs> but uh, but in in any event, yeah. So it's I mean that's I had this, this movie is. Again, because it takes two things that in and of themselves are crazy, you know, and that it takes, to me, Japanese tokusatsu is a little crazy, right? You kind of have to accept certain things to, to really get into that. And then it takes, like, Hong Kong kung fu films, which are themselves a little crazy, right? Right. And you combine them together, and you get this, it's such a unique product, and it's just enjoyable as hell to watch. It makes sense, so... It, you know? It does make a lot. It, it makes sense. It holds together. The story is simplistic, but that's probably for the best because it, yeah. it just okay. Here's here's evil lady with the the nice boots, and she's just gonna destroy the world. Let's build ourselves a cyborg to fight her. I mean, they we've had we've had Hollywood movies with less plot than that. 
Well, yeah. it, 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 the simplicity of it also makes up for it making no sense at all, you know? <laughs> right. So, you know, it, it, at it's least it's not over. Films... At least you can explain the plot, even though it's nonsensical, easily to somebody who's never seen the movie. And it's right. one of those films that seems to have been made, that seems to have been written by two kids in a playground. Right. <laughs> and yeah. then this happens. And, yeah. And, oh, and then, oh. And then, yeah. and then, and then, yeah, and then this happens, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, we should mention the American release of Inframan in yep. 76, which tried to tie the film in with another icon of the 70s, this one from America. Because he was billed as by Joseph Brenner, the, the uh, distributor, as the man beyond bionics. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. You know, what's what's funny is that right around the same time, um, uh, is it Columbia? Oh, I'm forgetting which studio. Is releasing the Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla from 1974. Right. And that is called, in its original release here, Godzilla versus the Bionic, Bionic Monster. Monster. Yes. Mm-hmm. And amazingly, that didn't fly. Right? <laughs> and so very quickly, it became Godzilla versus the Cosmic Monster. Monster but you could, yes. still could find, you know, some material that said Bionic Monster right. and, uh, and all that. Uh, cinema shares. That's who it was. I don't know why I couldn't think of cinema shares. They, they they released a bunch of those. Uh, of course, my fondest memory of the, that era of, of Godzilla is my first trip by myself to a movie theater. It was to see Godzilla versus Megalon. Well, of course. With my friend Joe, who was a bad influence on me. <laughs> and we went all the way from Woodhaven, Queens... To um, Ridgewood in uh, Ridgewood in Brooklyn okay. to see the film, and afterwards we looked at the poster and said that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but they now, had Thomas, your, they had this your, is they crazy. Shekels at that point, buddy. <laughs> you just dredged up a memory because when you go, when you said the first one I saw in my brain, it triggered. The first trailer I ever saw mm-hmm. was was Godzilla versus Megalon, mm-hmm. and I was visiting my cousin in Long Island. Okay, and we both saw this uh, the the you know the ad for it on TV, and flipped our fucking lids, and we were just like, "Take us to the movie theater to see this," and they would not do it. <laughs> not do it. That so is I, the I, I, that was there, my, like. There could have been some chance where we could have been sitting behind you in the theater. Yeah, although, but we were in we were in Brooklyn at the time, and if you were in Long Island, you'd probably be seeing it at like someplace different. Yeah, or a drive-in. Um, that would have been sweet. Well, that's where I saw beyond the uh, beyond the, the uh, is it beyond the beneath the valley uh, the, beneath the valley up beyond the valley beneath the, the planet of the apes for God's sake. <laughs> you know <laughs> the planet of the apes valley of the dolls planet of the apes same crap whatever you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my! And it was just like, yeah, back in those days, it, it, that was the day of weird double features, because they put that on on a double feature with support your local sheriff. Those are certainly two movies. Yeah, those are certainly two two movies exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I mean, it's a, this is enjoyable. Oh, the the thing is, is that you know, uh, when I was prepping this, yeah, my brother reached out to me and he said, "What are you prepping for that other show?" And I said, "I said the Super Inframan," and he goes, "I don't know." That, and my brother's like, "I don't know that I I know that." And I and I explained what the deal was. I said, "This film is." probably has it i think it has an outsized level of popularity in this country given its origins because <laughs> it was seen in the 70s and 80s it was available on video it had a theatrical release and it's so it just it just sticks with people right it's memorable <laughs> for because it's so it's so unique and so uh, um crazy to the point I, I mentioned the mooks and I call them the boneheads. Right. You know, if you are a fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000 in the current era, you know that King of Forrester and her mooks, the boneheads, the boneheads come almost directly from this film. Yeah, those those costumes are very accurate. Right. And then Joel Hodgkin has gone and said that Princess Dragon Mom was part of the inspiration for Kinga for doing a young, attractive, evil female as the villain was part of that was because of princess dragon mom. And that is, you know, now obviously Kinga is not dressed as provocatively, right? But she certainly still fits that. I mean, to the point that that was a criticism levied at, um, at the character was that, Oh, um, I'm blanking on her name right now. Felicia sure you know it, Thomas Felicia day, that Felicia day was too pretty to be a mad scientist. Which is stupid because she's oh, great as King of Forrester. But, oh, what, you know, uh, dudes on the internet saying insensitive things about women? I don't, that doesn't sound right. But That woman is too pretty because I can't date her. Yeah, well, that 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 is a, a whole other can of worms for a different podcast. Yeah, but yes, yeah. but the idea of, you know, a, 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 an attractive young female as the evil villain with an army of boneheads. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that's a little... <laughs> It's kind of right there, right? Now, that, that would suggest that uh, TV son of TV's Frank, that Max could be in the little, like, you know, outfit that uh, that she did, she demon's wearing. That would have been something. <laughs> Patton Oswalt would Patton be Oswalt it. dressed up like she demon. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to see that. Uh, no, no, but, he, but I could imagine him doing it. Oh, he totally would do it. Yeah. Um... You know what's funny is that my my kids have not seen any of the Netflix era. They've only seen the the, the original era of of Misty. But every now and again, my son will still break out with nobody calls you that, Max. You know. <laughs> oh Lord! <laughs> All I know is I've always said that. Game of Thrones would have gotten some decent ratings if they would have named Daenerys Targaryen Queen Dragon Mom. <laughs> yeah, I should no, have needed all the help it could get. Am I right? Am I right? You know? <laughs> now, I gotta it say... It would have been the sleeper, little sleeper thing that it is, you know? <laughs> uh, Patton Oswalt has kind of gone down because first he was the... Uh, Henchman to Felicia Day. Now he's the henchman to Harry fucking Styles. 
Yeah. You know, you could take where the work is, I guess, right? <laughs> He's like, no. I'm not, I was about to say something very nasty, but I will not. Um, Patton Oswalt is sort of getting the the niche market of um, sidekicks that are animals or imaginary animals. Because yeah. he was he was the crow in the in the um, yeah. Sandman. He's the Raven. Yeah, the Raven, and and he was um, oh, what the hell was that that movie? Lucky or whatever something. Like... It, it's it's he was playing like this guy's imagine this psycho psycho murderer guy's imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Patton Oswalt is just gonna get all those roles. Yeah. Well, his, I mean, his voice I'm is... not objecting to him being Pip the Troll. I'm objecting to Pip the Troll being the uh, lackey of fucking Harry Styles. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, you know, it's 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 uh, I, I'm I'm the one shouting into the darkness here to anyone to listen. But it's like you know, Avengers Endgame. You got seven million characters running around on screen. Mm-hmm. Mantis can't karate kick somebody. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's my problem with the Marvel Universe seat, Marvel Cinematic Universe stands, is that they're now just taking characters' names and one or two aspects about them. Yeah. And just making what they want. Right. Um, and and I, then if you I, complain about it, you're you're being reductive. I yeah, mean. It, I, you know, I had no issue with the, with the ghost being female. There's nothing about the ghost character that that. says the ghost had, but when you get rid of the personality of the ghost, it's not the ghost anymore. Okay. My big problem was with Moon Knight. Okay. That is not Moon Knight. Yeah. The only thing they took was Egyptian shit and, uh, multiple personalities. And I hate it as someone who, you know, is mentally ill himself and who has become somewhat of a spokesperson for mental for mental wellness. I hated the whole our our mental illness is our power. Yeah. That they literally say out loud. <laughs> they li- it's like it's not like it's just implied. They literally made uh, Yo, Oliver, uh, they made that guy say it out loud. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just I'm, think I'm, it's 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 a function of, and granted, Marvel has seemed to be able to like, as compared to like Warner Brothers or whatever. But when you have a big company with an intellectual property that's like. Mm-hmm. Popular or famous or, you know, Moon Knight, not so much like super popular, but it's associated with Marvel. It's part of their big Marvel thing. Right. When you have a big company like that, you just have all these Remora type hanger on people involved with it. You you know, you have like Marvel Studios where you have comic writers and stuff doing stuff. But then you have suits and every suit wants to get a little pee pee on on the project. 
Yeah. So that they can say, oh, I fixed this into something. You yeah, know, don't get me started I, on Eternals. This Moon Knight thing uh, was, you know, a goofy comic, but like when yeah. I put a little pee pee on it and said, why don't you do that? You know, why don't we have right. a line about mental illness and blah, blah, it, blah. It, no, no. See, Moon Knight was about mental illness. Right. Moon Knight as a character is, is intrinsically about mental. It, it's about a man who literally drives himself into multiple personality disorder. He's always been mentally ill in the comics, but the thing is, that was considered something he had to overcome. Overcome, And he had yeah. to deal with, as opposed to, well, our, our mental illness is our superpower, other Oscar Isaacs. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying there's there's a million voices yeah. and all these things yeah. going right. Oh, yeah. You know what? You know, what's popular these days. This can you work this into it? And that, you know, what? Oh, oh, you know, what the algorithm that, says it says people want to hear about this. And that season that that season closer of She-Hulk, which otherwise I enjoyed very much. Um, first off, you're basically acknowledging we have no way to end this series. Right. And secondly, I'm sorry, but it's not funny when you reference your own flaws in your script. No, that's it's it's trying. It's called covering your ass, is what. Well, it's you know, it's it's the the to me, it's the entire thing. Most of the Marvel universe is built on this idea of bathos, right? It's the Mm -hmm. the sudden shift between being serious, but we can't be too serious because if, um, if honest trailers makes fun of us, we're going to lose the crowd, right? Mm. We're going to lose the mob because we might be considered corny. So we have to put enough bathos in there so that everybody's aware that, Hey, we're in on the joke. We're not taking ourselves seriously. And it's infuriating. Thanks. It's beyond infuriating because (laughs) to me again, and it may just be a function of the stuff that I grew up liking and reading and watching, but I like a certain, earnestness a certain sincerity was, which a film like the super inframan has in space yes. because oh, this yeah, movie is yeah, sincere it's, it's about it what it is no it's a superhero movie it's a movie about a cyborg fighting mutants from the center of the earth and it doesn't it's not winking at the camera it's not there to to say hey isn't this stupid you can't believe that they gave us billions of dollars to make this yeah. no it's 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 there to entertain and it does it it does it tremendously well because it's an entertaining, well-made, action-packed movie that doesn't need to be. It doesn't need. My brother says this all the time. Every movie does not need to change your life. A movie can be entertaining as it plays itself out on the screen right. for 88 minutes or however long it lasts. And that's what Super Inframan is, which is why a lot of times I'll choose a film like this over a slick modernist Hollywood movie because oh, yeah. this this is the type of film that speaks more to what I'm interested in watching. Well, I, I get that I'm not the target I've demo. Been, I, I, in choosing the films for this series, what I've been, one of the things I've been trying to do is show how fil- there, that, that, a, a film that says something on the, t- that, that says what it is on the tin. Yes. But is has bad production values and may not be the best acted can still be considered good. There's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I could go to see some Oscar bait movie about yeah. you know people interpersonal relationships and stuff that's well written and directed and stuff. But I want to see something 
that reflects my life. And mm-hmm. that's what this is. This is this is this is what my life is like. Your life. I want to see. Yeah, I want to see something I can relate to. Right. That that said, that time that professor built you into a cyborg and you yeah. had to fight that chick with the boots. Yeah, dude. Yeah, well, I I was talking more about the time I got I got uh, yeeted into the lava pit by uh, Dragon Mom. <laughs> near, near. But but Virginia, yeah, I'm talking about you. Don't get upset. <laughs> But if Virginia does have a little bit of a background powder. So, um, but yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with liking this film. You don't have to call it a guilty pleasure because it's it does what it says on the tin. It is silly as all hell and it is entertaining, except for that last 20 minutes where it's just like, okay, enough. Let's get on with it. If you have to hem and haw about lock, liking this movie, you're hanging out with the wrong people. That's all. Right. It's, right. it's like yeah. the, the way I defend um, the works of um, Felipe Mora. Felipe Mora is not a good filmmaker. But if you look at Howling's 2 and 3 and The Return of Captain Invincible, there is nothing but joy and fun in those movies. Right. There's something going on there. Yeah, people yeah. watch Neil Breen movies. <laughs> And, well, and honestly, honestly, entirely. Oh. honestly, yeah, but honestly, there is like serious value in watching Neil Breen movies. I, I love that we sort of live in an era where like Neil Breen movies started out being like, oh, God, look at this, you know, goofball. And now and now it's more like, wow, we get to really seriously like look into the brain of a seriously weird person a seriously oh. damaged mind yeah. yeah 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 and there's there is value in those movies it's not the value maybe neil breen is mm-hmm. it's expecting from it but you know and well yeah neil breen is is classic ego exploitation neil breen taught me how to appreciate Zack snyder movies basically okay now I look for I I look forward to them, <laughs> but <laughs> so okay. I think you my okay body, there? Yeah, my body is rebelling against what what I'm saying about Zack Snyder, but I'm looking forward to his Star Wars ripoff that's coming out. I it, guess it, it's probably just the fumes from Thunderball fists. <sighs> that's why you're coughing and hacking, but heady fumes. I, I think, judging from this conversation, we can all agree that super, the Super Inframan, a.k.a. Inframan, is a very enjoyable, very silly movie. And we would all recommend that you, the listener at home, yep. watch it. Fun alone and fun in a group. Probably more fun in a, with oh, a group. Oh, yeah, I can imagine be, putting this on at a party. This, oh. I mean, this movie could totally be like... You could you could run Rocky Horror Picture type stuff with with a movie yeah. like this. So, um, oh, King of the Kaiju. This is now the time where I ask you to pimp your wares. Okay. Well, uh, first <laughs> off, thank you for having me uh, on the experiment today. Really. Uh, Appreciate the uh, the invitation and a chance to talk about something that is sort of out of my wheelhouse, but uh, you know, sort of in there. But that's okay. The uh, so if you if you're not tired of listening to me go on about this stuff, 
by this point, you can go check me out on Earth Destruction Directive, which is a Daikaiju podcast, mm-hmm. talking about all aspects of Japanese giant monster culture. Uh, that is available on TwoTrueFreaks.com or on your favorite podcatcher. You can also find that show uh, it, on the YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search for Earth Destruction Directive, and I've got the show. I've been mirroring it up on YouTube for a little over a year now, so you can find a lot of episodes mm-hmm. there as well. I am also one of the co-hosts, along with the inimitable Two True Freaks OG Chris Honeywell uh, and my brother Jason and the hair metal hero Chris Tyler on the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror, where we take a look at horror of all different stripes. Lately, we've been kind of bouncing around between more modern stuff and then movies you might have found at the Vinyl Rental Place back in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. In the yep. horror rack, so that can also horror be found rack on, hangers on horror rack hangers and, on, which is a concept that I've been kicking around for about twenty years, and we're finally getting to play it out here on the show, and it's been a lot of fun. And actually, uh, it's going to come out right before this show, but we're doing uh, the next one. We're doing is Black Phone with the okay. mini Black Stephen Phone. King's movie. Mini Stephen. I, to be fair, I think Joe Hill is distinct enough from Stephen King. He's not distinct looking from Steve. No, no he looks just like, like her. <laughs> but I, I think that his style. I haven't read any of his works. I, I've read some of his work, and I think that he's grown into his own style. He's doing his somewhat own that is similar. I mean, he and King deal with a lot of similar um, themes. It's horror, so. Yeah, but but Joe Hill is definitely distinct from his dad. But anyway, um, yeah, so you can check that out again on uh, Two True Freaks. And then the other one is, um, you know, I also do a show with my brother Jason and the hair metal hero called Get Back to the Wrestling. Finally, there's a show on the Internet about professional wrestling. Uh, I I was just thinking we need that. I know, right? There's the first show. Groundbreaking. Yeah, we we it's covering you know it's really putting ourselves out there, but uh, you know that that guy Brian Alvarez keeps telling me he was there first, but I'm like no 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 it was oh. it was my guys. Yeah, full of crap. But anyway, nope, don't uh, come over there to Portland, <laughs> kick your ass. <laughs> but uh, that also is on uh, two, on twotruefreaks.com. So if any of those sound uh, interesting, please uh, check them out. I would really appreciate it. And I should also mention that all three of us have uh, a stake in ATW Audio Drama Company, which um, you can see new audio, see, you can hear new audio dramas dropping every Friday on the Two True Freaks website. Um, I think has of Lucas recording. At least, we are, at least two kaijus in an audio drama two, and yes, a cowboy. Two kaijus and a cowboy. And a cowboy. And I saw them have, open once. Um, they opened for Steel Plate. They were a good. They were a good <laughs> act, man. <laughs> um, and we have just wrapped up the fourth season of Strangers in Paradise. And when we come back, we will be having Domination from Space. Do you know what you're playing in Domination from Space yet, Luke? Um, have you found I w- out? I was the narrator. Nope. Domination. <laughs> you're going to be some. You're going to be a cyborg soldiers. Awesome. You're I'm good be, at that. You're, I, you're I can follow orders. Cyborg soldiers. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and um, hopefully we're going to have um, the end of Doom Asylum soon. 
that's been going on for almost a year and after that and we've got lots of stuff planned so it'll be it'll be really cool um and next time um lab monkey okay. I, I decided we're gonna look at a small but very significant subgenre that was very active in the 80s not a lot of films came out but those films people remembered and also we're using it as an excuse to honor Albert Pyun who loved to make movies and made far too many of them to count so we are going back to his very first film from 1981 a movie called The Sword and the Sorcerer and, oh my gosh and we may have a special guest on that one as well Someone... I, I may have seen sort of this sort I remember like I don't remember anything about it but I remember catching it on like Cinemax and going like that was pretty that was actually pretty good I saw it in the theaters at the Valley Stream Multiplex um but yes this is to to, to honor Albert Pune who recently passed on uh and we may have a special guest on that one. Someone who has a particular affinity for barbarians. Ooh. So, until... Who doesn't? So, uh, thank you once again, O King of Kaiju. And thank you very much for having me on. And I hope Bemular did not make too much of a mess. He usually kind of keeps to himself. But, you know, you never can tell. We're going to make the lab monkey clean it up. Oh, yeah. No problem. No problem. And as for you, until next time. No! no! Oh, Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks.
finished his mission. Escort him back to Princess Dragon, Mom. I will finish off this Earthling. Hey! 